Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. Our current sermon series is A Church Transformed by the Gospel. The title of Dr. Spawn's sermon today is Look Out for One Another. The big idea is we are called to humble ourselves and to look for the interests of others just as Jesus Christ humbled himself to meet our greatest need. As you're being seated, I invite you to find your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can find one there in the pew rack in front of you. Philippians chapter 2 is on page 831. Choir, you always do a great job. There's something about hearing Scripture um, sung over you like that that's so powerful. Thank you so much for that. I think I felt that some people wanted to clap, but they didn't. Um, but we give, we give praise to God for you and your efforts. Thank you. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're in the second week of a series in the book of Philippians um, that I've titled A Church Transformed by the Gospel. And last week we looked at Paul's prayer in Philippians chapter 1, and we looked at the ways that that we must be a people who are dependent upon God to be at work in us. That prayer is a declaration that we can't do anything apart from his gracious work among us. And so I invited you to, to join with me last week to start this four weeks of prayer as we walk through the book of Philippians, and we'll, we'll continue to do that today. And today we're looking at the example of Christ's humility. I don't know if all of you are football fans, I imagine in the state of Alabama, in Birmingham, there's probably a decent percentage of you that are. I normally don't watch a lot of National Football League, not nearly as much as I watch college football. But if you missed NFL games last weekend, you really did miss the best that the NFL has to offer. All the games were close, decided by, three of them were decided by a field goal, one of them maybe on uh, disputed overtime rules. But I loved watching the games. The teams went back and forth. And one of the things that I like most about watching the NFL really is at the beginning of the game when they introduce both teams at some point. You might know what I'm talking about. When the offense is lined up and they have the guys out there, their heads at least, and they talk about where they're from and where they went to college. 
and you're reminded of the diversity of the people that find their way into the National Football League. Yes, some of them played at powerhouses that you would expect. Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, the University of South Carolina. But some of them are from more obscure places. University of North Dakota, who knew? Eastern Washington, I think. Maybe one of the best players in all of the league plays came from Eastern Washington. You see large people and small people. See people from all ethnicities represented. But one of the really amazing things about sports is when they put on that one jersey that they all share, they find a way to be united as they pursue this one goal that everybody has. And in three of those games, at least, I would say the fourth too, perhaps the smallest guy on the whole team got to go out there and do something that was really important for everybody. Nobody cares about the kicker until you care about the kicker, correct? Went out there and one of them, snow's blowing everywhere, and somehow this, this guy kicked this ball through the uprights. And one of the things that I like about team sports so much is that every person on the team is important. Even the ones that went to obscure universities, even the ones who they maybe do one thing in the game that's important, but that one thing is really important in that moment. And when everybody on the team is captured by this vision of one goal, one thing that they all share, that purpose out before them, and they can experience this great unity Sports can be terrible, but sports can also be really incredible to show us what's possible when people are united with a common mission. And we also know how quickly things can deteriorate. If there's one person on the team that thinks he's more important, if there's one athlete on the team that thinks she's more important than everybody else, and then their pursuit of being recognized or their pursuit of being known rises above the goal that the team shares. And then everybody gets distracted and things deteriorate quickly. As much diversity as there, are, or there is on sports teams, professional teams in particular, the first century church was comprised of a hodgepodge of humanity. That where people were once separated because of their social standing or their ethnicity or what they had or what they didn't have or their status in society. In the church, everyone was equal because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And it really is one of the characteristics that set the early church apart and that drew people most to be a part of this fellowship called the church. That they would see how People in the church would cross these lines that used to exist that would divide people because of this new identity that they saw in each other in Jesus. So where once a slave might be thrown out into the common grave, now these Christians were going and insisting on a proper burial for people that they had no reason to care about. And examples abound of how their love for each other and their common purpose so transformed their standing in society that others wanted to be a part of this. Now, it's not that everything was perfect. 
The letters in the New Testament exist for a reason. And most of the time, Paul is writing to address something that's not going right in local churches. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul implores these first century believers to remember that the identity that they have in Jesus and the common purpose that God's given them to make Jesus known supersedes everything that would have divided them before they came to know Jesus. And he asks them to keep this one mission of making Christ known before them so they might experience unity. And he gives us insight into what threatens that unity that we experience as believers. And then he ends with the example of Jesus Christ that, that humbles all of us and reminds us of how it is that we pursue greatness in God's kingdom. I love the way Paul starts Philippians chapter 2 in verse 1. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion. So Paul says, surely you have some of this, your faith in Christ. If you have any of these things, then do what? Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Look back at chapter 1, verse 27. Listen to what Paul says as he drives home the importance of unity in the fellowship. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Did you hear Paul talk about walking in a manner worthy of the gospel? And he immediately talks about unity. One mind, one spirit, one thing that you share in common. I don't know if we often think about disunity and conflict in local church in strong enough terms. Usually we think about sin and things that grieve the heart of God. We we think about those really bad sins out there. The things that those people do out there. We would start listing the things that are really bad. And I think sometimes disunity and a lack of fellowship in the local church doesn't fit into that category. But as you read the New Testament over and over again, disunity a lack of common purpose in the local church is listed with all of these terrible sins that you and I would know to avoid. Our church is not comprised of the most diverse group of people of any church in the history of the world. But there's just enough diversity among us that if we're not careful, we will also experience conflict in the life of our church. Some of us love piano and organ and choirs. Others of us like drums and guitars. Some of us think you got to come to church with your best on. Others of us think it doesn't really matter what you wear as long as your heart is in the right place. 
Some of us have grown up in Mountain Brook our whole lives. Others of us have moved into the area. Some of us are Republicans. Some of us are Democrats. And there's just enough diversity among us that if we're not careful, we'll lose this unity and this common sense of our identity in Jesus and this common purpose that God's given us to make Christ known And that will seep its way into our congregation and cause conflict. The other thing Paul points out in verses 3 and 4 is selfish ambition or conceit. Listen to what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That is a difficult thing for us to do. To do nothing in a local fellowship out of selfish ambition or what I think is best. Or to not view myself as more valuable or more important than someone else in local fellowship. But Paul writes so clearly and he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing so that you might accomplish what you think is best ultimately or what you think is right if it means that it's all about you and not about others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Most of us would not say that we think we're better than other people. We're smart enough not to to say it out loud. But perhaps you've felt it. I remember clearly I was in the waiting room of a doctor's office one time with my children Um, I was in the sick area with all the other sick people just waiting to get sick. If you've been in a pediatrician's office, you know how that works. And I was sitting there and I was looking around the waiting room. And I saw other people that weren't as together as me. And I wouldn't have told them, I think I'm better than you. But I felt it welling up inside of me. And the Lord just convicted me in that moment of how easy it is for me to look on the outward appearance of other people and to think that I'm superior to them because of maybe my education or what God's entrusted to me or the ways he's been gracious to give me material blessings. All these things are real, real easy to see those as things that give me value and worth. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Instead, what are we supposed to do? In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. When you and I walk in the doors of Mountain Brook Baptist Church, the most Christ-like attitude, the most Christ-like heart we can have is to walk around and look at everybody else in the church and think that they're better than we are. To look at them and can be concerned not for my interests, but look at them and say, how can I be a part of God's mission in their their life to build them up, that their interests would be more important than my interests? That the same Christ who died for them 
has died for me, that I am just in need of God's forgiveness and salvation as they are. That I came into the world with nothing and I will leave the world with nothing. And everything between the beginning and the end is all a gift of God's grace to me to be stewarded not for my interests or for my glory, but to lift up others who were made in God's image. And then he says, here's how you get there. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, if there's anybody in the history of the world, as Sharon mentioned earlier, that deserved all recognition, all honor, all praise, all glory, it was, it is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine for a moment, in eternity past, whatever in the world that means, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit existed equal in glory and power. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbled himself and willingly left behind everything that would set him apart as glorious, everything that would allow us to see his true identity. And he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. That the glory of God was veiled in flesh, and he walked around the earth, and if you bumped into him in Crestline Village, you wouldn't have looked at him twice. Perhaps if I had been in the waiting room with him, I would have thought myself better than him. And he became obedient to death. Paul says, even death on a cross. The lowest of the low. That's how they died. That for you and me, a cross is a symbol of salvation. It's a symbol that we look to, but, but in the first century, probably the closest that you and I can get is an electric chair. And Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. He put our interests ahead of his own. He laid aside his honor and his glory and in humility put our needs first so that we might be reconciled to the Father. Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How do we see the greatness of Jesus most clearly? Sometimes we think about perhaps his miracles, think about his teaching. But I think if Paul was here today, he would say that we see Jesus Christ's glory most fully in his death on the cross. And the call for you and for me then, as those who bear the name of Jesus, is to walk in that same way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And it really goes against everything in who we are. Do you remember the disciples when they were 
walking along the road behind Jesus and they were having this conversation about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And they were thinking, who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand? Who's going to sit at Jesus' left hand? And they get to where they're going and Jesus said, what were you all talking about on the road back there? You can almost imagine like two kids who were fighting about something in the back seat on the way to the on the way to the restaurant or the beach, and they say, what were y'all talking about there? And they're probably, you know, shuffling around. And Jesus said, it's not mine to grant who sits at the right hand or my left hand when I come in my kingdom. And then he takes an opportunity to say, greatness in the kingdom of God is not characterized as greatness is in the world. Rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and they seek to be the best and the greatest, and they seek to have positions of acclaim, but greatness in the kingdom of God is measured not by those who serve you, but who you serve. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Karl Barth is a theologian who admittedly most of the things he wrote, I have to work really hard to understand what he was talking about. Any of you have those kind of people in your life? You read that and you say, I know that's good, I'm just not sure why. And go back and think about it. In his commentary on Philippians, he sums up this passage, I think, so beautifully. When he says that every person, when we're born, we feel as if we are born on an island. That we don't naturally draw towards other people but we like to be distant and separated so that we kind of control everything on our island the way we like it. And on our island, we sit on a throne. And Philippians chapter 2 calls us to move toward people in their need, to get down off of the thrones that we have made. And it's in that moment when we humble ourselves, even as Christ humbled himself, put the interest of others ahead of our own, that we are the greatest. It's not when people say great things about us. It's not getting in front of a congregation and preaching a sermon. It's not giving some amount of money that they name something after you. All those things are fine. But the place where we're the greatest, where we're most like our Lord Jesus Christ, is when we humble ourselves and move toward other people putting their needs ahead of our own. I pray that we would increasingly be that kind of church where we think about other people in our fellowship and we say, how can I live and work toward their betterment? How can I make sure that all of this is not about me and my own interests and that the Lord might give me a heart to humble myself and serve others even as Christ served me? I invite you to take out the prayer insert in your order of worship. Last week we prayed together as a congregation. The Lord would make our love abound for each other and for God. We might have knowledge and discernment to understand what's best and be a church filled with fruit to the glory of God. And this week we're going to pray that God would give us a humble heart toward each other that he would call us to walk in the same way that Christ walked, that we might experience the joy, we might experience the true greatness that he would have us to know in serving him. So I invite you to read that prayer.
And then we're going to pray together, and I'll close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for sending Jesus into the world so that we might be reconciled to you and to each other. And Lord, we confess that so often we make everything about us and our selfish ambitions our conceit or our estimation of our own value or worth is inflated. But Lord, we thank you that you showed us the path of true greatness in your kingdom. Lord, we are in awe that you would set aside your glory, that you would take on flesh, that you would become like us. And that you become obedient to the Father's will, even to the point of death, death on a cross. Because of your humility and your faithfulness, the Father vindicated you so that you receive all glory and praise and honor in our church. We pray that you would continue to give us a heart for each other. That we would consider each other as better than ourselves. That we would look not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. And that our fellowship and our concern for each other would be a beautiful picture of the reality of the gospel on display in our lives. And that others would see that and they'd be drawn to you. We pray that you would do that work in us. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.